You are listening to episode 147 of the God Center Mom podcast with me, Heather McFadden. And today I'm chatting with designer, author, amazing gal, Erin Lochner, about chasing slow. And it's that discontent. You know, I, I, happiness cannot be the goal. I don't even feel like slow living can be the goal or fast living can be the goal. Anytime that we place this attainable metric on our life, we are in danger, you know, of, of measuring it to a T. Life cannot be measured. It just can't. Um, it's an, I feel like it's an art, not a science. And so it just, it became so evident to me that happiness was not going to be an arrival point or a destination and that it was just this everyday tangible choice I had to make to rise above my circumstances that no, I did not choose, but I found myself in and deciding to love and be loved anyway. Have you ever considered the pace of your life? Maybe you're a young mom and your pace is dictated by your children and you feel like you're just going, going, going by their needs. Uh, But then maybe you're a mom who works outside the home and you're feeling overly full by too much, too many things at work, too many things from friends, too many things from husband and kids. Or maybe you do stay home and you feel like it is too slow compared to the career you had before. Well, today's guest, Erin Lochner, has written so well on this topic in her book, Chasing Slow. It arrived in my door, and I get a lot of books, but this one, y'all, she's amazing. She's this designer. She had an HGTV show, and her book shows all of the skills that she has. It's gorgeous, and her writing has been a guide to me. I've kept her book by my bedside table and read it slowly. Uh, the last few months, and it has been such a help in a season where I would tell you if I if I had coffee with you in uh, August, September, October, and you'd ask me how I'm doing, I would have said my life is full. Every little inch of it felt overfull. So many commitments, so many places to be and do, even my weekends and my Sundays, and there was no real Sabbath rest uh, for me. And I've been kind of forced into it by my situation with my parents moving in with us and just choosing to be fully present with family and to let go of the things that don't really matter that I had put uh, a lot of energy and time into. And uh, her words have been a salve too as she's talked about the struggle with uh, her husband who was diagnosed with a brain tumor and moving from LA to the Midwest to care for her father-in-law who was ill. And, you know, so much of our conversation I think is about the balance of motherhood and career and success and what does that mean and so if you're that woman who struggles through some of those issues I'm hoping our conversation can help guide you and direct you so that ultimately you can seek God's pace for your life and that you can find contentment in that so let's get right to my conversation with Erin here we go hey Erin welcome to the God Center Mom podcast Thank you, Heather. I'm so happy to be here. I love, love, love this podcast. Well, you are very sweet, and we all thank you for writing your new book, Chasing Slow. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. I've already gushed over y'all before I got on the call. Um, but if y'all aren't familiar with Aaron and Aaron, would you introduce yourself to everyone listening and introduce them to your family? little bit. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm Erin Lochner. I am a writer and stylist in the Midwest. I have a blog called designformankind.com. My family is my husband, Ken, and two kids. Uh, My daughter, B is, we call her B. She's four and a half. And then we just adopted a little baby who we call Scout and he's dreamy. How long ago? That's, I had no um, idea. 
I know it, it happened literally overnight. Um, it was, he's four months now. We've had him since day two. Wow. So it's still fairly new. Thank you. If I sound sleep deprived, it's because I am. <laughs> You're launching a book and you just adopted a baby. I know. Timing is crazy, you know, but it, it's just been, it's been a whirlwind journey and a really great, it happened in the right way for us and that I tend to overthink things. So it was kind of just like, boom, you have no time to think about this. Just get in there, do it. Like this was meant for you. Wow. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you've been on quite the journey, quite the journey. Why don't you kind of give us not a quick synopsis? I don't want you to be quick. I want you to take your time, (laughs) but tell us about where you were uh, and how you got here. A little bit of that. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I grew up in the Midwest. Um, I met a man who I wanted to marry in college named Ken, Mm -hmm. uh, who had just been diagnosed with a brain tumor. Mm -hmm. So I will say right now he is okay. He is thriving. He is uh, healthy and energetic and has been blessed in numerous ways. Um, But he was given a very short lifespan by the doctor. So we got second and third opinions, decided to take the plunge and marry anyway. I mean, marriage is, is, has so many question marks as it is. So it was just like, well, what's one more? <laughs> you know? um, wow. so but it's a lot. We, you, you choosing to marry a man that you are told by doctors would live, I think you said in your book, like <laughs> rounding up years. 12 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. 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 Which, you know, I feel like was exactly where my journey began. I had to really, you know, when you, when you try and map out your life path or whatever, it's, it's kind of that rarely do you get that, that moment that kind of creates a before and after. Mm. And this was that, this really was that moment, even though it wasn't even my own life, it was just choosing to love someone that, I mean, none of us are guaranteed any time at all, but it, it was choosing to someone knowing that you're going to be building a life that will soon likely disappear, you know, mm. and that's a really scary thought. Um, and it taught me a lot. It, it, it gave me absolutely 100% the perspective that I have now, which is, um, you live today and you get today and, and it's a gift and not a given. And, um, and that that needs to be enough for us. We need to see that as enough. So, and to let your heart fully love. Gosh. Yeah. That would be a really hard thing for me. Like, to fully embrace that relationship, to fully fall into this marriage, knowing that the more I do, the more hurt I'm going to have. And I will say I did not do that at first. Okay. It was, it has been a long journey. I mean, when we would, when we talked about having children and mm-hmm. it was, it was very much a, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And I feel like maybe in the back of my mind, I was waiting for that expiration date to, 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 check off, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like, okay, if you've passed, if you've made it this far past the 10 year mark, well then maybe the doctors were wrong and then, yeah, let's do it. Um, and I feel like subconsciously, maybe that's what I was doing Mm -hmm. when I just kept feeling that, that I wasn't ready. Um, but he's, he's doing amazing. Um, he's past the 10 year mark. I'm happy to report he's, he really is thriving. So, um, it's very much one of those things that we, it's, it's there. It's under the surface. It's not something that we focus on. We do not, we no longer, you know, make decisions based on that question mark, uh, which is a really, um, it's a really crazy 
way to live. And it's a really freeing way to live when you're fully reliant on, uh, on stripping away all of those other things. I mean, there are a million things we can freak out about. I think we're really good at that as people. Um, but when you, when you understand that these temporary things, they matter, but they, they don't matter. And I think that's a, a gift of perspective that we've, we've been given through his diagnosis. Mm. But not that, you know, there's this gift that it gave you and, um, joy that you found, but the early years of that, the early years of marriage and y'all moving out of the Midwest, I'm going to jump into your story, moving out of the Midwest to LA, you personally started experiencing some, some stress and, and panic attacks. Oh yeah. We, you know, we were both a mess in different ways. I more so than him, honestly. It was almost like I was the one with the brain tumor. I mean, you feel so, you know, it, it just, um, gosh, I, we, we both dealt with the early stresses of marriage, which are stressful no matter what, you know, I feel like whatever variable you have, whether you think you married a dying man or you just, are human, <laughs> selfish, exactly. and trying to learn Whether to. We're just a yeah. newlywed. Newlywed is tough. It's, yeah. We did not have that, you know, rainbows and butterflies marriage. And so, and I don't think anybody does, honestly. But um, yeah, we moved to Los Angeles. It was not a place I could ever see myself living. It was very fast. Um, I struggled to find my place. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm a typical Midwest worker bee. So I threw myself into work. He did the same. Um, we climbed ladders at work, you know, we, we saw less of each other. And, um, I just kept asking myself, you know, what, what is my purpose? What am I, what am I doing? What am I supposed to be doing? You know, I just, I felt, um, lost. I felt really lost Mm -hmm. and yeah, the panic attacks. And I think it was, you know, I, I had never really processed what it meant to kind of take ownership over your life. Um, I, very much always seen life as a series of circumstances that you just kind of accept and move on and that you need to kind of roll through it and let things roll off your back. And this was something that just stuck and I couldn't, I couldn't just power through, you know, Mm -hmm. it was a hard, hard thing to come to terms with that. Um, this person that I love and chose will likely not be here very long. So I feel like you can only shove those emotions down so deep before you, and you know that growing up is hard. I was twenty. Mm-hmm. What do I know? <laughs> you know? Well, and I think um, even not to explain it away, like if you and I know there's women listening right now that have experienced panic attacks, and I know I have. And if you have never experienced them, you don't know. You just don't know. You don't know mm-hmm. how it feels. Um, my husband even he he experienced some in the last few years, and he was like, "Oh, oh, I get it now. It is completely outside of your control." completely yes. comes upon you in the most random times. I loved your description of dropping the bag of rice. And then Ugh. when you said, okay, the rice shouldn't be weighty enough to tip the scale. Like I was fine. And then I'm not fine. I'm sitting on the floor. And you said, there is so much guilt braided into anxiety. Like uh, or you said, there's, yeah. so there's guilt braided into anxiety. Would you just get off the floor already? Put on your pants. Put your, it's like, we've been given such a beautiful life. And then we, so we add guilt on top of it. I remember when I felt it, it was like, I have healthy children. <laughs> I have children. A lot of my friends, you know, they struggle yeah. with infertility. I have a great loving husband. We have a beautiful home. Why am I feeling this? Like as if exactly. I shouldn't. And then, then do you add the layer of guilt on top of it? And 
Yeah. So you saying, I just, the, the way field. that you said that was so good. So good. Oh, well, I, I'm, I'm so sorry that you can empathize with the panic attacks, but, but you're exactly right. It's, it's just, um, I, I don't have them anymore. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I, I rem- I still do yeah. struggle with that guilt, I think. And maybe that's the danger of comparison because mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it's the underbelly and that you see all of this need around you and mm-hmm. you're, you're just almost like, what is your deal? What is your problem? Why aren't we're so mean to ourselves? <laughs> um, yeah. you know, we really are, but it's, it, it is, it, it's a very, um, it feels selfish, you know, just in, which is just an emotion. It's just a feeling. I feel like, um, for, for me, the panic attacks also taught me that, um, I do have a lot of control over my life. Um, and at the same time, there are just some physical factors that, that I'm given that, that shape me as well. And there's, mm-hmm. there are just some inherent things that I work through and that I do. And there are some go-to moves that I've got. And, um, you know, we've all given this, we've all been given this certain tool chest. And, um, for a long time, I thought mine was broken. You know, for a long mm-hmm. time, I just thought, oh, well, I just do not have a sharp knife there. And, um, it's, I think, I think what, uh, through, through learning that, and first of all, so many people have panic attacks. Yeah. It's, it's uncanny how, when you mention it, you hear so many me too's. Yes. Yes. And I want that woman listening right now who has felt that to think, okay, one that happens and, and it's more for you, what it sounds like to me. And for me, it was a red flag more than a feeling guilt yeah. that it happened. Like you said, it's a feeling, it's something our body's doing to say something's off. There's something off mm-hmm. we have con- been able to control up to this point and, and had the illusion of control. And mm-hmm. now things yes. are happening. Uh, has, you know, fiance with a brain tumor, husband with a brain tumor, mm-hmm. p- uh, moving to a new big city. Pace is moving faster than my body enjoys <laughs> or loves. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how did you, okay, so you're in L.A., this pace is fast. You're married. Marriage is normal and challenging. Take us to the next place for y'all. So, um, you know, it, it was really this, just a series of circumstances from, you know, job loss and, uh, relational shifting. And, um, you know, I, I truly feel like God intervened in very big ways. Um, for a uh, small, you know, they were normal. It was aging parent and, mm. uh, it took, it took someone else being sick, you know, specifically Ken's father, um, to see our lives. Like we're just right up against it. We're sometimes in f- so far too deep that we can't really see mm-hmm. and a way out in any way. Um, and it really took, those series of circumstances, which I really go into the book in quite a big deal. But, um, we decided, you know, we had, we had two choices. We could keep living, um, fast in LA and keep on the hamster wheel of really living very separate from our values, which I, I, I wonder sometimes if the panic attack for me was just, well, the multiple panic attacks for me was, was God giving me an opportunity to see something different. Um, and, you know, not to dismiss it as anything heavier. Tell me more about see something different. Sorry. I think um, we needed to 
not only change our pace, but change the way we were viewing our pace. Because the truth is, you know, whether you live a fast life or a slow life, you can you can choose to live that fast life slowly, or you can choose to live that slow life quickly. Um, and it's very, I think that it, we, we've been taught, you know, once we take ownership of our lives and, and that, that things are in our control and, and we are, you know, we are in charge of our circumstances and all of those things are true, but yet not because mm-hmm. I feel like we find ourselves in these scenarios over and over again where we're not able to control our circumstances. And we ask ourselves, what now? Mm-hmm. You know, you find yourself um, in over your head with, you know, four kids and Cheerios all over the floor and you're unhappy and it's, it's what now? And can you, you know, can you rest in where your identity lies in that moment and say, these are not the circumstances today that, I'm necessarily choosing in this moment. Um, how will I react now? What what happens next? Mm-hmm. And for us, that what happens next required us stripping away all of the things that we had been building, all of the success and the mountain that we were scaling, and um, and slowing down quite a bit, even to, even to moving locations. We moved to the Midwest, and um, we reprioritized in a big way and that, um, work no longer came first for either of us. Um, we, you stripped down the excess purchases, the excess things, um, the excess responsibilities that really, I mean, it's, it's so funny how the American dream teaches us to, you know, buy more and spend more and acquire and decorate your home with all these couches that you don't even have time to sit on. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, when's the yeah. last time you sat on your sofa for fun, mm. um, without the TV on without, you know, and just connected. And it's, we're spending all of this time acquiring and styling our life the way that we want it. And we're designing our life. And, and I think sometimes dismissing the very design we've been given by God. Mm. Yeah. You and I were talking. It's a good word for the woman pursuing the latter and the more and the matching the Instagram feeds and trying to be all the things. Um, a reminder to maybe slow down, but it's also for the woman who is in the slow pace, who thinks that she should have the fast pace, that she's less than because oh gosh yes her life doesn't look like LA or she was born in a farm town and you know the classic like I want to get out of there and go to the big city you know but Mm -hmm. to like you said to to embrace what the circumstances we've been given is is the heart it's the hard part (laughs) so how did you do that for you you moved and what else did you do you told us you got rid of a lot of stuff I did. I did. And it's funny, I, you know, going through the process of, of slowing our lives, you know, we, we kind of, you, you do all of these outward things thinking it's going to change the insides of you. And it doesn't, you know, it really doesn't work that way. I feel like, I feel like it's important to take small steps and tiny efforts and small shifts can make big differences. But, um, ultimately I feel like, the heart, it sometimes takes a long time for the heart to catch up with the body. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were very much going through these motions of, of stripping things down and saying no to opportunities and, um, 
turn, we turned down an HGTV show. I mean, there were just, there were big moments that we made these very intentional decisions. And then I feel better, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that discontent, you know, it's that idea that, um, happiness is, uh, cannot be the goal. You know, I, I, happiness cannot be the goal. I don't even feel like slow living can be the goal or fast living can be the goal. Anytime that we place this attainable metric on our life, mm-hmm. we are in danger, you know, mm-hmm. of, of measuring it to a T. Life cannot be measured. It mm-hmm. just can't. Um, it's an, I feel like it's an art, not a science. And so it just, it became so evident to me that, um, happiness was not going to be an arrival point or a destination. And that it was just this everyday tangible choice I had to make to rise above my circumstances that no, I did not choose, but I found myself in, um, and deciding to love and be loved anyway. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I'm, I'm imagining like that big choice. I'm choosing the HGTV show or I'm walking away from that. How was that for y'all? Yes. Like, I mean, in theory, it sounds great to be like, yeah, we, it was so easy. We just said no, but I'm sure there was a lot more struggle to it. Well, it's funny because um, I knew in my gut that it was not the right opportunity. I knew I did not like the person. Mm. I was, I felt um, I'm not, I'm not, um, hardwired for the spotlight. I don't enjoy, um, the attention. I like anonymity. I like quiet. Um, so I, I knew that I would have to really be playing a role to do Mm. that. And I'm also no actress. So it just, it, it didn't, it just did not fit with my core. And so I knew, I knew enough, uh, by doing the online show, we knew enough to know that it, it would not be sustainable for me. Um, that's huge. But the funny thing. Yeah, go ahead. It is. You have to know yourself. You yeah, really do. That's, that's and the funny exactly thing right. is, um, I thought I would be really relieved, but I just, I found myself second guessing that decision so many times. You know, you see somebody else get their success and you think, well, gosh, maybe if I would have powered through, I could have handled it because that looks really fun right now. Yeah, the Chip um, and Joanna you know, life and you, was that, that could have been y'all, right? Totally, totally, which would just, I know inherently would be the worst for me ever. But I just, you do, you go back and you second guess and you think, should I have just powered through? Mm. And, um, and I know in my heart, that answer is no, but you do. I think by, by nature, we second guess. And I just, I always go back to in Exodus when God gives us, you know, he gives us people manna. Mm. And I always think of manna, you know, in terms of time and energy and fuel and food and, and gosh, we, we get enough for today. Um, and we only get enough for today and just how crazy that is, how it's, it's not, you know, we can, we can take that manna and we can savor it and eat it slowly all day long, or we can take that manna and we can gulp it up and devour it. And we still get it tomorrow. It, it comes again, it returns, it's, it's new and we cannot save it for later. And I just, I feel like when we talk about pace and we talk about whether we're living a slow life or a fast life and whatever that even looks like for you, because it's so different for everyone, um, it's not anything that we can measure and and call a goal because 
we're then idolizing that, you know, if we're spending all of this time pursuing, you know, KonMari or whatever, you want to, you want to only, <laughs> none because, of it brings me know. joy and none of it brings me joy. Yes. I get you. Yeah. Which, we're pursuing all those I things. Mean, yeah. And, and can it just be, I feel like, yes, there is beauty in the KonMari thing to go off on a tangent, but it's almost <laughs> as if, if we're just stripping away all of that, what are we going to learn? You know, I feel like I live with a toddler and a husband who are total pack rats and my, my bent is toward minimalism. So it would almost be easier for me to throw away everybody's stuff, but what's that going to teach me? You know, what is that going to teach me gratitude for the things that I have and yet don't want? Um, is that going to teach me? I feel like by the process of just ripping it all away very quickly and giving it to goodwill, it feels wasteful. It feels like we're wasting an opportunity to learn something about ourselves and to learn that, well, can we be a better wife, even though the kitchen counters are a mess? Like, can we be a better mother, even though we are tripping over socks again and again and again? Uh, I just, can we still rise above those circumstances and love anyway? Um, yeah, we think- are missing an opportunity to learn something. There's two things going on. One is you knowing yourself well enough that this opportunity is not a match for me. And even though it could lead to this level of success, it is not worth sacrificing my soul, my ha- my family, my joy, my like con- my ultimate peace to pursue success. But then you're also saying, I know myself and what I'd like in my home and how I'd like things to be, but I'm going to set those aside a little bit and let God grow in me a little bit of gratitude for those things and a little bit of patience and a little bit of stretching of what is not my natural bent because of the relationship. Yes. I love, yes. I love how you put that. You're getting back to how do you, how well do you know yourself? Yes. And letting yourself be a little uncomfortable. You know, like, sure, it's not comfortable for me to have a million things in my house. Um, I don't choose that. I don't acquire personally. Um, But when your kid brings in, you know, a bunch of leaves and puts them in her sock drawer and calls them her nature socks, that's, (laughs) you know, you can't fault a four-year-old for that. That's darling. And yeah, Yeah. clutter, yes, do that. That's, you're more important than this um, ideal that I'm pursuing, you're, you're more important than that. And I get that you're not the same and that needs to be okay. And I feel like you're right when you said, uh, allowing God to stretch us a little, because that's, I feel like we now have every creature comfort imaginable. We have every answer. We have every, you know, human tip and life hack. And Mm -hmm. we could potentially live very comfortable lives. We already do. But then Mm -hmm. when something gets a little uncomfortable, we completely lose it because we're not, we're no longer in the practice of being uncomfortable. We're no longer in the practice of being stretched. So I want the stretching. I want, I want to practice the everyday annoyances and the everyday, um, rubbing of me the wrong way so that when life gives me a very big discomfort, you know, when I lose someone important to me, when we have an aging parent or, uh, a job loss, I'm, I am in the lane and in the zone to be able to practice that. I know I have done this before on a small scale. I know how to do it. I know God is available 
and his love is there and that I am loved and deeply loved and can deeply love others through that. It makes me think of two parts of your book. I'm going to quote you to you. Um, One is when you said, I've been working so hard. I've been working to be perfect. I've been working to please God and God's people and to be a better woman and better woman with better abs. All the things that we're trying, the word trying pops out to me a lot now, uh, having been through recovery and recognizing where's our limit and where does God come in. But when I hear, you know, I'm trying to read my Bible and I'm trying to discipline and I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, and there's so much effort. And then it also makes me think of your surfing story. Mm. And if you want, do you want to tell the surfing story? Oh, sure. Yeah. That that, that kind of goes along with this trying effort working and relying. Uh, Because, um, Yes, that's what we're taught is that um, work hard and your work will be rewarded. And mm-hmm. while that's true, um, that makes us into completely self-reliant creatures that have nothing to rely on God for. Um, yeah. So so I, I learned that, on, and this was in the thick of my panic attacks, um, uh, uh, just a coworker had taken me surfing um, when I lived in Los Angeles, and I kept just doing it wrong. I was terrible. I kept, you know, falling. And I can't even imagine. I would never even get out there. Like, that's how fearful I am of failing. Like, I wouldn't even try. So props yeah. to you for trying. Well, yeah, I, I loved the idea of being a surfer. I thought that would make me really cool. But whatever. I just, I was, I was truly terrible. And my friend had watched me. She had been surfing all of her life. And she watched. And she's like, what are you doing? You are trying to do this by your own efforts, but the water is there for you. Let the water do the work. It's stronger than you. Mm -hmm. Um, let it move and you, and literally catch a wave. Like you ride that wave that's already there. Um, Mm -hmm. and it was such a metaphor for how I've been living. It was such that, um, truly remarkable. I feel like we only get a few conversations like that in our lives. And this wasn't even one that was, you know, tangible, but it was, yeah, that's, that's exactly how I am living. I am doing everything in my power. I am striving. I'm striving, exhausted. I'm exhausting myself when the water that I know to be true is already here for me. And that is, that's, it's really how I was treating God. Like, you know what? I, I got this, you know, you've taught me well, thanks so much, but now I'm going to go apply. <laughs> I'm going to go apply everything I learned, um, like the SAT essay section. And yeah, it, it was really, uh, that was a little bit of life shift for me. And, um, I'm learning to allow God and to allow margin for him and less, you know, spend all of this time tidying up my life and controlling. And because really another word for control is manipulation. You know, we're just, we're spending all this time trying to manipulate our circumstances. Um, yeah, I think that control, that manipulation, it happens with our kids too. You know, we, think in our own strength, I will turn them into amazing human beings yes. <laughs> and not recognizing that everything that they, that they really need or that God wanted them to have is in them. And our job is to shape and point them and, and just kind of keep them on the path as much as we can. And we have a role. It's not like we just let them go be wild and crazy. We have a role to love and attach and show them God, but we can't make them into something. How have you seen this whole pacing apply to your four and a half year old and now new baby? Oh gosh. Well, you know, motherhood was really 
hard for me in that I was so used to, I mean, I had children older. I was so used to planning everything out and controlling everything. Um, and you know, I was such a nice person before I had kids <laughs> because <laughs> and I, all the moms say, amen. I was, yes, yeah. I just, I felt like yeah. I was, I, I was in control of my emotions and I wasn't yeah. living this reactive life. And, um, it's funny because I, I would like to tell you that, and you'll find this in the book very much, but I would like to tell you after I learned all my lessons, I stopped learning them, but I found that <laughs> yeah, after, as if we don't keep cycling around them. Yeah, totally. Yes. yes keep going. It, after, um, the birth of, of B, my first daughter, I just, I felt lost and lacking. It was all of those all of those old emotions that brought on the panic attacks were coming back. I felt, um, mm. you know, not, not worthless, but I, uh, unproductive, you know, what am I doing with my life? What's, what should I be doing? Um, I, it, it didn't, something was off and, um, I fell right back into where I was and I thought I had learned all these grand sweeping lessons and I was self-actualized and enlightened and whatever. And then I found myself, you know, crying over Cheerios and just, I just felt all of those emotions came running back. And what I did was, which was the wrong thing in my, for, for me and for my path was I threw myself into another project. Um, and I started working really long hours and and searching for that worth, um, outside of my home and searching for that worth in the workplace, because that was my go-to, right? That's what I had done all along. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a great worker and I was praised there. So I went for where the praise was and because you do, you feel so invisible. I think as a new mom, you feel so like, like nothing you're doing. I mean, it's a very thankless job. We all know that. So it's, you feel unseen. And, um, so I went to where I I could be seen and I just, I remember, um, a really late night getting takeout on my way home to, um, feed dinner to my family and just, there was a sign on, uh, Jimmy John's. Do you guys know like the Mexican fisherman story? where it's yes oh my uh, goodness I just took a picture of it at Jimmy John's because okay tell it because I've been wanting to share it oh my gosh well it's just you know the the idea is that you know there's a little fisherman in Mexico and a businessman comes up and is like how much how many fish do you catch in a day so you know feed my family have a siesta enjoy my wife, you know, that whole thing. And the businessman is like, well, you could totally do more, right? Like we could get you some people under you and some more boats and like, you could have like an enterprise. And he's like, well, then what? And he's like, well, then you'd retire. And he's like, well, what would I do when I'm retired? And he's like, the sa-. he realized that the same thing he would do when he's retired is what he can do now, which is a little bit of work, enjoy your family, have a siesta, whatever. Um, and it, I realized, oh my gosh, like I, I tipped the scale into this place of more searching for worth that I already had. You know, I, my, my worth and my identity is rooted in God. So what am I, what am I looking for exactly? Um, what if I just choose to, instead of chasing this idea of, you know, more money, more accolades, more fit, more fame, what if I'm just okay with the little bit that I have now, the enough that I have, the mana for today, and um, and just love the people that I've already been given. You know, why why look for more things when I've been given so much already? Why what if I shift my focus onto what I already have? 
Um, and it was a pretty, it was, it was a change. I remember coming home and with my little number four sub and I'm like, all right, what if, you know, what if I sell this? It was, it was a project. It was a new website I had built. And I'm like, all right, Ken, what if I, can we afford to sell this site? And his response was, can we afford not to sell this site? You know, you're just essentially you're a wreck. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So, so since then, you know, I have really been very, intentional about, um, home has been my focus. Children has been my focus and that that's okay. You know, I, and I feel like it takes making that mistake. It's so easy to learn from others and to be like, well, okay, it didn't work for you, but it, it, it takes you making that mistake. It takes you pouring yourself into something else to realize, okay, I've tipped the scale and now I got to kind of move back a little bit. Yeah. It is. You, someone listening could say, well, you know, maybe Aaron couldn't make it work, but I'm doing just fine. I'm doing just fine. And really the heart of it is the productivity isn't the heart. There are lots of women around the world being very productive and doing a lot of things in third world countries and uh, enjoying their families. But the heart of it is the American woman who's doing it for worth, like you yeah. said. It's yeah. not coming from a place of, I, I need to do this for my family or, or I am productive because that's just part of our culture. It is, I need you to tell me I'm amazing. Yes. <laughs> Otherwise, and I can't just sit here and not be amazing. I can't. Totally. And you want to do something that you're good at. And I really thought I was a bad mom. I thought I wasn't a good mom at the beginning. You know, mm. I just, I mm. had all of these expectations and I was feeling on the, every day, you know, I... I could not, you know, rein in my impatience and my imperfections. And I think we're hardwired to want to do things well. And so I yeah. thought, well, well, hey, if I'm not a good mom, I must be, I know I'm good at this. Maybe I should just go back to doing this and let, you know, I, my husband, who is actually a fantastic father, maybe I should just like let him take over. <laughs> you know, let I've him. said it so many times. You just, you're really good at this. You should just stay home all day. I know. I tell my husband. Yeah. He's yeah. like, I couldn't do it all day. That's how I feel. So what is your new definition of being a good mom? Oh, now that you've, What do you think a good mom is now that you've kind of released? Well, I always, tell, and- I always tell my daughter there are no good kids. There are kids that make good choices. So I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to offer myself that same grace and say um, <laughs> there are no good moms, but there are moms that make good choices. And I think some of those good choices that I'm making are um, really just being available to my kids, um, being visible, being present, letting them see my eyes, you know, like looking at them being, being very, I'm very much, um, I'm pretty rigid on the, the phone thing. I keep my phone far away pretty much at all time. Mm-hmm. At all time. My, my friends hate me for it cause they can never reach me, but I just, I am, I have strict, um, and I think that just comes from, I had two working parents who, um, mm-hmm were incredible in so many ways. Um, but were not as available to me as other parents. I thought as, as other parents of the kids growing up that, that were. And so that that's just my own stuff. You know, that's just something that I really value that I want. I want my kids to see that they can come, like come and be with me, that that's okay. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's a big one I'm working on in the moment. That is so good. I think it's helpful, um, just the messaging that's going out now from women who have achieved quote unquote success or they've risen to the top and almost like Solomon to say, meaningless, you know, 
just that isn't the goal for yeah. us, the younger women coming up behind you who are starting off um, with young kids. And there's this extra pressure, I think, in the millennial generation to do something that matters um, and that you can present the message that being a mom matters, being a fully present mom matters, mm-hmm. staying off your phone matters, that it may not look like it. You may not get the outside approval or acceptance or, but in your soul, you can feel like this is where I find peace and joy is making this good choice for our family. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, definitely that we've all heard the pressures that women can have it all and should and Mm. shouldn't. Um, but having it all is very, that is exactly what it is. It is, you have it all, you have every emotion, you feel every, um, every responsibility, every burden. I mean, a lot, a lot of responsibility comes with having it all. And if, if that is the trajectory, then understand that is the good and the bad, you know, it's not just have all Mm -hmm. the good things. It is, yeah, you're, that's a, that's a lot for someone to take on. I am not built for the having it all. I don't want the having it all, but I do want to have enough. And, and the good news is we've already been given enough. That is the good news. Amazing grace. Yes. Like you said, that saved your life. And (laughs) (laughs) I know you have so many, you know, tips and help as women are starting off a new year and they're just a little bit realizing that the discontent or the anxiety or something is triggering. They're saying it's off. I want to break up with my life. (laughs) I don't like this Mm -hmm. pace that I've, I've set for myself. Uh, and they have the option to do a shift. Maybe they don't have an option to change their job, that that is a, a part of their family structure, but maybe they have a shift in their heart. Um, and spending some time with God. And I know your book can help them find God in those everyday rhythms and Mm. getting quiet in their faith and And him. He's going to help you. Amen. I think too, sometimes I remember having this many existential crisis a couple years ago where I just, (laughs) I texted a friend and I'm like, my life looks nothing like Jesus. And, Mm. you know, she just, she said, well, the do one thing today that does look like what, Jesus' life looked like. Just one thing, you know, just do one thing. And that was really great advice for me at the time. Like just um, when you can't make a grand sweeping change, there is so much in the small. There really is. Um, And it builds on it. And I think God works on, I mean, God, you know, takes our two cents and, and he takes our loaves and fishes and it multiplies. It's, it's, uncanny and unbelievable. And, and I feel like our doubting little hearts are like, ah, whatever, what's five minutes sitting down in the quiet, you know, with, with an open Bible going to do, but holy moly, it does everything. It's life-changing. It's a step. You can't, you can't, you have to change one step in a pace. You, <laughs> otherwise you just keep going. And right. sometimes we think, like you said, it's too small. Small is big when you're racing. Small yeah. is big. Yes. Okay, where can people find you online? I know you said at the beginning, but tell everyone again where they can um, find you in this book. Yes. So my blog is designedformankind.com. And um, I'm always on, not always, sometimes on Instagram. <laughs> I'm just Erin Lochner at Instagram and Twitter. And then um, the book is out January 10th. You can find it at any major bookstore on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to send it out. It's a good one. Thank you. It is 
absolutely beautiful. Thank so well designed. I mean, I guess you. when you have the designer on your name, there's a little bit of pressure to <laughs> to make a well designed book. But I'm telling y'all, I have not received. I get a lot of books in the mail, and no book that I've received resembles this book. It Thank is different you. from every other single. One, I even like how you did the chapters with the zero, zero. I mean, every little part of it is just, I don't know. I can go on and on. I could go oh, on and on. It is thank you. such a gift. So thank you for the time and energy you put into helping us all choose oh, the pace that God has for us. Amen. Thank you so much, Heather. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure, Miss Erin. You go have a great day. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the God-Centered Mom podcast. If you're looking for more resources on how to replace me with he, go to GodCenteredMom.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guest. I want you to really understand and know that God is just as present while you are washing dishes at your kitchen sink as while you are worshiping him in a church pew. He sees your service to your family and he is pleased. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. Have a great day.